Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but uh, September is World Alzheimer's Month, and on the 21st, they will be releasing their World Alzheimer's Report, which is always really exciting. And you can go to adi.org to find out more information on that. If you enjoyed our opening music, I always get people commenting on that. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite platforms. And the featured singer there is Maya Dore. For those of you that are new to our show, well, first of all, welcome. Our goal is to give sound information, not just sound bites. So we go for about an hour, and our goal here is to raise all voices, big and small, from people diagnosed to families and professionals that serve them and care for them to advocates and researchers and more. Our show is live today, so if you would like to call in and ask a question to our guest, that number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Now, before I introduce our guest today, who happens to be an author and a daughter whose mother had uh, Alzheimer's disease, I want to give some shout-outs. One, uh, Dementia Action Alliance, uh, that's DAI.org, is going to be doing a great webinar for their Meetings of the Minds, and it's entitled Human Rights as a practice model in residential aged care. And that's what they call it over in Europe. We call it senior living or nursing homes or memory care, but they call it aged care. And that's going to be September 23rd and 24th. And you can find more information on that, again, by going to uh, DAI.org. I also want to uh, give a couple of shout out to some upcoming shows that I'd love you to participate in. This Thursday, September 10th, um, we are going to be having an open mic where families can talk about the impact COVID has had on them. So if you are at home and caring for somebody or if you have somebody in a community or if they had to go to the doctor, um, you know, whatever um, has transpired, we'd love to hear from that. We want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, and your thoughts on how we can improve that on the 19th. We're going to do something really different on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We're going to do an audio play called The Forgiving and the, um, or the Forgetting and the Forgiving. And uh, we're going to listen to that. It's 90 minutes. So it'll be like sitting around, listening to the radio. And then on the 17th, we're going to do a talk back on that. 
And we're also going to meet the cast. So we would love for you to join us on that again. That's uh, uh, the uh, 15th and the 17th of September. And then Artist Way um, Memory Care Cafe is going to start uh, on September 16th. That's the third Wednesday of the month. And it'll be from 1 to 2. And that is a a virtual memory cafe. They're located in Woodbury. Artist uh, Senior Living is um, very well known out in the East Coast. This is their first one here in Minnesota, and I'm glad to help them get that up and running. If you'd like more information, uh, you can go to Artist Senior Living of Woodbury um, or just reach out to me as well. I'd love to give you information on that. What else do I have here? I want to, of course, give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory. There are um, over 40 cafes now that are going virtual. We'd love to see more of those uh, because it is so critical for people with dementia and their care partners to still be able to gather. You can also find information on dementia chats, which are videos that I facilitate of panels of people living with dementia. They give us great insights on Alzheimer's Speaks YouTube, along with uh, some dementia quick tips, which are things I wish people would have explained to me when we, when my personal family uh, jumped into the ring of dementia um, over 36 years ago. Mom's been gone about six now. And then uh, this is a great service that is offering uh, free download apps. Um, it's called Coro Health, C-O-R-O Health. And they are offering Music First and Coro Faith free. Again, it's an app you can download. Just go to their site, C-O-R-O Health.com. Uh, and again, I would like to uh, just remind people uh, with World Alzheimer's Month, that report is going to be ready on September uh, 21st, and it's always extremely interesting, uh, very informative. And uh, this year, I think their their tagline is "Let's Talk Dementia." And last, I just want to thank all of our listeners. Your loyalty, your likes, your clicks, and, cl- and shares have really helped build a sense of community, collaboration, and comfort which I believe is the only way we're going to win this battle. So again, if you've got a pen or pencil, I'm going to have you jot down this number, 323-870-4602. That's the number you can call into if you'd like to ask any questions. Now, today we are going to be talking with Brianne Grebel, and she is an author, a coach, and a teacher. And um, she loves exploring the powerful beauty of the simple truth of life, which I totally agree with uh, her on that. She's written a book called Love Doesn't Care If You Forget. And um, she has found, you know, how to show and find kind of that deep love and profound peace um, through her journey um, and life lessons that she learned with her mom, you know, who was living with Alzheimer's. So welcome, Brianne. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you, Lori, so much. I'm doing really well. Very happy to be here and speaking with you today. Well, good. Um, as I mentioned in your intro, your mom had Alzheimer's disease. Um, I'd like to ask you if you can tell us what it was like for you 
as a daughter in your family after that diagnosis was received? How did how did your mom and the whole family um, deal with that? Yeah, that was um, that was tough um, because um, for a little while prior, I was living in Los Angeles and my mom and dad were living in northern Idaho and family and friends had been mentioning, you know, something seems a little off with your mom. So um, I actually temporarily moved back up <laughs> into my parents' home um, at the age of 35 and I thought, well, she's just she's just not taking care of herself. You know, I was fresh off a nutrition background, and I was a personal trainer. And I was like, well, she's just not taking care of herself. So we're just going to we're switch her diet and, um, you know, get her active again, and everything will be okay. And I quickly learned when I came up here, I really got to see the extent of, of where she was, and I kind of had that dreaded feeling in the pit of my stomach because Alzheimer's does run uh, in my mom's side of the family. So I was familiar with some signs, um, but we went through a, a whole bunch of extensive doctor's appointments and various different kinds of doctors, hoping it was something else that, you know, had, uh, you could take some vitamins or a few treatments or, <laughs> um, but of course that didn't happen. And uh, we were given the, uh, the Alzheimer's diagnosis um, in October, 2015. And, it was a, a big shock, and yet, like, it, it was interesting. It's like we, we saw it coming, um, but you still don't want it. If You know, people listening to this show will know it's, um, it's, a, it's a horrible diagnosis because there's really ultimately nothing that can be done. The, the medical community doesn't have anything to offer you other than we're sorry, you know, it's, you know, downhill from here. Um, get your affairs in order, and, you know, maybe we can – possibly slow it down or ease some of the symptoms. But um, I feel like we were in a strange sort of denial for, for a while. Not, not fully. It's like we knew it was happening because nobody talked about it. I actually went back to Los Angeles um, and uh, was living with my then boyfriend, now husband. And I would make more and more frequent trips up to see her. And every time I would, I would see it progressing. And then at some point there was just, the acceptance of okay this is where we are and we do we need to prepare for even more of what's to come so it was um certainly difficult yeah okay and that's that's understandable i think everybody kind of goes into that denial stage and that hope stage yeah oh you know maybe she's just dehydrated or maybe it's uh you know uh adverse reactions from medications or someone told me you know if they this it'll help this vitamin or this whatever. yeah vitamin b um, deficiency or yeah uh, not enough iodine or you know i went through um the amount of research i did trying to you know um explain her actions and her behaviors and her memory and oh man i became like i think most people who are trying to wrap their minds around it and trying to do something about it become little you know mini doctors of a sort <laughs> uh-huh especially now that there's so much accessible, almost too much accessible on the internet. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I totally am. That Dr. Google um, yeah. doesn't, doesn't always help us. Sometimes it confuses us. And I know it really frustrates the real doctors many, many exactly. times. Can, can you tell us how your relationship with your mom changed, you know, from before she had the diagnosis to, to once she was diagnosed and, and um, it kind of through that, whole experience because there's a progression 
typically as the disease uh, moves moves right along the brain. Yeah. Well, you know what was really interesting to me, and this I didn't expect. Like my mother and I always had a great relationship. I love my mom. She was um, you know, one of my best friends. And um, I, what I didn't expect is to become so much closer to her through the experience. Like our relationship profoundly deepened and it would already felt <laughs> pretty solid. Um, uh-huh. You know, it, it, it got deeper and deeper and deeper and it got to a point, particularly in the last year, I um, changed my life again. My husband and I actually um, put our life in Los Angeles in storage about a year and a half ago and moved up to permanently be up here for her and help with her care. And my father was her full-time caregiver for about two years. And I just saw that it was just way too much for him. You know, I was afraid we were going to lose him before we lost her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came up to kind of take a, take a share of that over. And I became, I became just drawn to being in my mother's presence. And I, I couldn't quite articulate it at first. Like I just, at first I thought, well, of course, you know, I, I'm aware maybe I'm going to be losing her soon. So I want to, you know, get in as much time as I can, but it, it didn't feel quite like that. And then of course, eventually what I wrote my book about was I was beginning to see, Oh, when I'm with her, she is taking me to a deeper place, like a deeper love, a deeper awareness of being alive, really. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just not to say it, it was, there were so many moments that were so, so hard. My mom changed completely. She turned into a very different person. She didn't know me for about the last two years. She just, just recently passed away. Um, for the last two of years of her life, she didn't know my name. She didn't know I was her daughter. She became really cruel, which was so foreign to me. Like my mom was just the sweetest, um, shy, non-confrontational, and she became cruel. She became mean. She became very aggressive. Um, so there was a lot of difficult times of me adjusting to this new version of her. But still through that, I could see so much about what was um, possible inside of a space of love. Like, you know, she was showing me like this, I guess you could say a, a wider and wider version or deeper and deeper version of love that could contain the difficulties. Not that there weren't difficulties, but so our relationship became very, I would almost say spiritual <laughs> for lack mm-hmm. of a better way to explain it. Um, I just became so enamored with her and in awe of what, of course, she wasn't deliberately teaching me, but she was giving me access to. It was very humbling and, and beautiful and difficult and ugly and <laughs> all of those things wrapped into one package. Um, that was certainly at the beginning when we were di- when we were given the diagnosis. I had I wouldn't have in my wildest dreams. One, I wouldn't have ever been able to predict the bad stuff that had happened, but I also wouldn't have been able to guess that the the good things that came of it as well. Yeah, quite the I, journey you, she took me on. Yeah, when you were talking about deeper love and the spiritual experience, I, I'm right there with you. My mom had dementia for 30 years, and I That's talk about it yeah, in terms of. Um, Different levels of unconditional love I didn't know existed. Yeah. 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 Yep. Just deep into everything. And 
and and I'm like you. I, when people ask me, I'm like, it was spiritual. It's like you can't put it even into words, really, because it's just so deep and so centering and so peaceful. Um, anyways, it was for me that I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that existed, especially when exactly. you're in when you're in the midst of what everyone else is looking at is this horrific, horrible thing you're dealing with. And it's like, no, I'm really peaceful. I'm really comfortable. In fact, she's probably the safest place in the world for me to go, go visit and go be with. Cause there was no, yeah. you know, towards the end, then there's no ego. So there's no judgment. Exactly. And it was exactly. like, wow, is that a cool place to live? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, like one, one of the, ch- yeah, one of the chapters of my book, Love Doesn't Care If You Understand, is one of the chapters in the book, and it talks about how um, my mom's language, she was started to lose language, and, you know, she would still talk, but it was kind of gibberish, and um, but we still had the most extraordinary conversations, even though they were nonsense, and mm-hmm. I began to see, it's like, oh, we're not trying to understand each other, like, at least I'm not, like, I, I but it doesn't seem to be a problem, like, we don't have to worry about, you know, saying the right words, or being awkward or, you know, how's the other person going to take this or like all of that went out the window and you begin to realize just how often that's how we have interactions with people. We just kind of have this filter, uh, Mm -hmm. a little, you know, a a bit of protection for ourselves and, you know, being, you know, gracious and polite or, or whatever it is that we do. And when that's gone, it is extremely freeing. Like you're just present with a person. You're just really in a different kind of space than you are and you don't realize how rarely we get that opportunity how rarely we give that to ourselves or allow that to happen exactly it, it, it yeah it very much is beyond the ego yeah yeah very very interesting we're going to just take a break here for a quick second and hear from the foot bar walker sure we are <laughs> Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The foot bar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's the thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. You know, one of the things that I really um, enjoyed about your book, um, Brianne, was that it's short and, you know, you had mentioned one of the chapters was love doesn't care if you understand, but you also have a chapter on love doesn't care um, if you forget how you feel Love is impersonal. Um, love doesn't care um, what you want to know. And I, you know, I found those all very, very fascinating. I wanted to um, talk to you about the title of the book itself and where that, where that came from and maybe mm-hmm. what was one of your biggest lessons from the book. 
or from your experience, I uh, should say. Yeah, you know, um, I I finished writing that book um, in October of last year, and um, my mom just passed away in July, and I feel like I could I could probably write a series of <laughs> all of the the things that she taught me, and every time I reflect back on our time, I feel like I see something more or something deeper or something else. Um, but the title of the book, Love Doesn't Care If You Forget, um, as I was trying personally to, to make sense of, I knew I was seeing something really beautiful and really profound and really deep and really beautiful and really soothing. Um, and I was sharing kind of what I was seeing just, um, personally on my personal Facebook page, um, just as personal posts and people were really getting something out of them. They were like, this is a perspective I haven't heard. And, um, and so I, I thought, well, well, maybe let me try writing something like, you know, more in depth, maybe a book is, is in here. And so I would sit down and write out these lessons. And a lot of times I didn't really know (laughs) what I was writing. I would just, it was kind of a word dump until I could kind of make sense of it. And that line just kind of came out of nowhere. Love doesn't care if you forget, mm-hmm. you know, because so much of the, the worries, and I talk about this in the book, like my first real worry before I, I knew all of the things there were to worry about. <laughs> Thank goodness <laughs> you don't really know ahead of time what's coming because then if you had to think about all that stuff. <laughs> um, but but my worry was, what you know, what what happens when she forgets my name or yep. she forgets who I am? Like what's going to happen if she forgets? And because, you know, that's like, that's what our relationship seems to be built on is like us knowing each other or us having a history or us having a specific kind of relationship. And I began to realize like the love that is present underneath of all of our journeys, really, that doesn't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like a memory is not required to have access to that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so it doesn't matter. And that really, I kind of wrote that line out and I went, yeah, that's just true. Like it does, it doesn't care what's happening on the, the quote unquote surface. Now the surface can be real ugly and brutal and difficult. I, I always want to make sure I, I tell people I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. <laughs> like it's a, it's a tough journey. It challenges you in ways that you don't really want to be challenged. Nobody would ask for this. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of almost um, as a metaphor, kind of like the ocean, the surface can have this really huge, storm with these massive crushing waves and emotionally can absolutely feel like that but the access to the depths that water is stiller it's there's less movement there's just quiet and depth and that's kind of like that deeper love that's that unconditional love that mom started to show me and there are so Mm -hmm. many things like as you start to access that that you worried about that became irrelevant (laughs) yeah so so my mom kind of really, like the, I guess if I were to say it today, I say different every day, I talk about it, but today I would say the biggest lesson she showed me is like, when you access that deeper love, you don't need much else. You don't have to worry about much else. There's, you know, it, it's all, there's a safety in it that's mm-hmm. built in. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's real. I, I think very, very true. And people, you know, we've been, sold for so long that, uh, you know, the fear and the doom and the gloom is wrapped in this disease. And we're hearing more and more people now talk about the hope um, and dignity and love and joy, which is, which is wonderful. I know when I um, 
when I first stepped into this space in 2009, there really wasn't anybody talking about that stuff at all. And I was encouraged to yeah. start the blog. And I was shocked how many people around the world resonated with that. And said, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we need to hear this side of it, you know, because it's the other side's exhausting. And if you don't feel mm-hmm. like you can ever crawl out of the hole and get a glimpse of light or learn lessons, you know, from this journey, um, it really makes it much, much more difficult uh, for everybody involved in the situation. And I know on your website, you say that the book is about deep love and internal hope um, through the through the whole struggle of Alzheimer's. Um, where did you find the deep love and the internal hope? And, and why do you think it's so difficult for people to to believe that that can even be there. Was it was it, yeah, a, well, was it a method you used, or was it just in changing your mindset, or can you put your finger on it? I know sometimes it's hard to pin down. <laughs> yeah, like the only um, I have, I I would love to take credit for <laughs> my own insights of of. Um, the only it was just grace moments of grace and I think um, an openness to that grace that I don't know if there is a method or a technique that one can get to Um, Mm -hmm. but I think hearing that it's possible that's kind of why I wrote the book and Mm -hmm. why I'm so glad you know things like your show exist and people are sharing this perspective like knowing it exists knowing that genuinely somebody else has seen this um, Mm -hmm has seen the deeper parts, have have seen the peaceful parts, at least gives you something to keep an eye out for. And I think that's what, why so many people, they struggle even harder than they have to is because there is so much junk that comes along with this. There's so much crap. There's, there is watching their health decline. There is having to learn how to be with somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't know who you are. And there's, there's a lot of rearranging and adjusting and, um, you know, the medical stuff and the emotional stuff and the physical stuff. There's a lot there. And mm-hmm. what we tend to do is we, we, that's the only thing we have eyes for, though, is we get really mm-hmm. lost in the journey at that level. And, of course, who could blame us? <laughs> that's a lot, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, there could be isolation and, and, you know, as people kind of, a lot of people don't know how to deal with this. And so, you know, we tend to lose people in our lives that we thought, you know, no fault to them. It's tough, but it's like, oh, I don't know how to be with your mom anymore. So I'm just kind of fading to the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's a lot. So it's, it's in some ways, like, I don't know how to make anybody see beyond that. I can only say there is a beyond that or an underneath that, that it, it, it gives you space. And mm-hmm. if you can find your own way through you, whatever it is, you know, if you're religious and it's prayer, or if you're, you know, you have some sort of um, mindfulness techniques or whatever meditation, your particular fingers, for me, it was literally observation. It was noticing. It was, you know, having an incredibly hard time with my mom, but still noticing, like, as life was taking her away from me, I was still getting more of her in some strange way. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I was, it was curiosity for me. Like, what's, what is that about? How is that possible? And so for me, like, you know, when you introduced me, you said, my thing is I love to explore the truths of life. That's just my particular flavor of, of getting through things. I'm curious about things. But I would say for anybody else, it's, it's, you, it's grace for letting you see something beyond what the difficulties are, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. You were talking about, you know, looking maybe underneath, you know, or above them, whatever. And in some ways I found yeah. with my mom, it was looking through her. It was looking past the, mm, the physical yeah, yeah. being and just mm. connecting. I, I learned to connect more. And for some people, this is going to sound like really woo, but with her energy, with her soul. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it really made me um, give great appreciation for just silence and getting mm. comfortable with silence that you yeah. don't always have to be talking. There doesn't always have to be chatter. And, you know, coming to the um, resolution really that, you know, for me, there's, you know, a lot of times there's no safer or comfortable place to be, but then sitting alongside somebody that you love. No words are needed. You don't even have to touch just to be in their presence. And I think we overlook that a lot in our everyday lives because everything's so busy and so fast. And um, for me, it made me, it forced, it forced me to look at that, feel that, kind of live and breathe with that, not be anxious about it, that it was okay to not just have to fill air, fill space, do something that I could just sit and breathe with her and that yeah. that was enough. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we forget that it, so long as you're breathing in air, there's nothing that isn't full of life. Mm-hmm. Like grief is full of life. Like there's, there, there's an aliveness in it. Like, and we can, it, it's not so much about like being happy that grief is there. Like, Hey, here's grief and I'm okay with it. But it's like, you're alive, like to feel that deeply and to just be with it, to be with that depth of pain, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm so like some people I feel like try to push the pain aside or try to not acknowledge it or numb themselves to it. Or, you know, we have a lot of defense mechanisms against it. In my mind, it's like, Oh, acknowledge that it's there because there's, there's still life in it. There's, there, yeah. you can absolutely connect through grief or, you know, whatever is actually is still in front of you. Like the, your loved one is still there. <laughs> well, you know, even my mom's other, gone and I still consider she's still here. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing I think what, that, that anyways, I, I learned through this journey was that you can't have great grief without first having great love. And so oh, when yeah, I absolutely. would feel, when I would feel that, then it brought me back to a place of gratitude. Mm. How how lucky am I to feel this so deep? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with somebody, and I was just so sad, so sad. And I said, I don't know how else to say this other than I feel really lucky to feel this sad. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. very, very true. Um, I think we've got Kate Lau on the on the line, so let me just see if I can pull her in. Um, Kate, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, how Hi, are you Kate. doing? 
Hey, I'm Glad doing. I'm. I'm. Uh, things are a bit hectic here. I'm moving. I'm packing. Moving, and uh, okay. I can't put two and two together. <laughs> I'm staring <laughs> at my things a lot. However, what an interesting conversation, and I'm just sitting here listening and about grace, about love, about hope, and um, about daughters like both of you who love your mother so much. And uh, it is just good to know that, you know, there are daughters like both of you and, and many more, I'm sure. But for me, it's it's different. I I raised my kids with so much love, so much love and care. And now um, I, they, they're not interested in what I'm going through. And I do not know, you know, uh, how to, you know, how to react, what to do. So um, I'm moving closer to them into an apartment. They don't even know yet that I'm moving. Um, I think I'll just, you know, settle down for a bit, keep quiet and uh, see what happens. I'm hoping for some, whatever little care and love that I can get from them, and there's nothing I can do. It's, it's um, how do you call it? It's, um, it's how they feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to wait. They yeah. pray, and uh, they know all of that, but um, they're avoiding, I feel that they're avoiding me. You know, when you have this disease, you you lose a lot of things. You lose not only your independence and, you know, uh, skills and and you lose your family. You know, losing your friends is different. Losing Mm -hmm. people at church is different. But losing your own offsprings, um, losing time with your grandchildren. You never go shopping ever with any of these kids. Well, they're growing up from the time they're born. You never go anywhere. And I'm totally um, still able to do many things. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I wonder what their, what, what their feelings are. You cannot be in denial for seven years. Well, and some, people, some people are. I mean, my brothers were in denial pretty much all 30 years with my mom. You know, and, you know, they they came mm-hmm. around a, a little bit, but they just truly didn't get it. It really scared them. And they, uh, I, I I honestly think that um, they didn't want to deal with their feelings. They didn't want, you know, we were talking about kind of going into the depths of the grief and, and stuff just before I, I called you in. And I think some people just, they're, they're scared to death to feel that deeply. And yeah. I was in. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. ahead, Well, I was going to say the same. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, You know, my. I don't. I don't know. I think everything we do is, um, ultimately rooted in love. Ultimately, and particularly if you did raise your kids, and I, I, of course, I can't speak for them, but particularly if you had so much love in there, it's terrifying to have to admit and acknowledge and accept that somebody you love has something you can't do anything about. The amount of powerlessness that I had to accept, it was, it's, it's, it requires, 
I don't know, a lot, I watched a lot of people in my family and, and a lot of my mom's friends and things. It's too hard. And it's actually because they love them so much. They, they, they don't know what to do. They become, we're not used to, especially in our modern society, dealing with things out of our control. We really want to be able to control things. And when we can't control them, we tend to avoid them entirely and then pretend like we're controlling them. Um, yeah, but so, but it is their loss also because when the time comes and um, your loved one cannot talk, cannot communicate, and then you come visit, what is that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, hard well, to see. Because yeah. I, I stole this when I was working in a dementia unit, but now it's I'm you know now I'm on the other side of the table yeah. or whatever, and uh, I'm watching my kids and uh, the only one that said anything was my oldest son. He says I want you to go to I don't care Mayo Clinic whatever. I want you to go get more tests. You know there can be mistakes and all that. And that I believe when he says that. He's concerned. He loves me. Um, he cares. He lives far away, but then he cares. And the ones that are here, they're, they're, they don't even want to in, include me in anything. I think I lost a daughter um, because she never talks to me about, you know, she, has, she works for the, for the federal government, but she also has her own business. And I don't know a thing about the business. Apparently, it is a very uh, lucrative um, business, and I'm not involved in this. But I, I am a bit jealous about <laughs> the, the the people that are involved in it, her friends, her maybe her yeah. mother-in-law. I'm not sure. So um, yeah, I feel I feel like um, I want to be accepted and involved yeah. in her life. And the children's life. I want the children to learn from their mom in how she feels for me, cares for me, love me. And then they will do the same when the time comes. Um, um, I, I do not want anyone to have dementia, but whatever it is, when there's some kind of sickness or any time they're with their mother, they would imitate or learn something from how she is with me. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, another one of the, the hard things is we can't control anybody else's learning. We can't control sure. anybody else's seeing, you know, and that's what's yeah. so hard. It's like, I, I saw so much beauty in this and I wish I had the power to give this to every single person who was going through this journey, like to give them my sets of eyes. And that's just like, a, it's mm. another, it's another layer of accepting and finding grace. It's like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, you know, I'm so, I, I'm so sorry for everybody who has to walk this journey because it has all kinds of different layers of individual complication, depending on family dynamics and history. And, um, mm-hmm. but I, one thing I do know for sure, Kate, is that grace is, it, it's possible all of it, even if it's grace for yourself as you go through this journey and are currently not getting what you want from your children and which is always unfortunate. It always just stinks when we don't get what we want from the people we love. It always hurts. Right. And, and you, you know, know I just speaking from, yeah. um, oh, sorry, speaking from no, a mother's viewpoint, from a mother's viewpoint and both of you are daughters. Is there anybody else mm-hmm. here 
uh, in our conversation. I don't know. I just know that Laurie and you're here. Um, yep. From from your um, from daughter's viewpoint, it's very very interesting because I'm the mother here, and I, mm-hmm. you know, my goodness, I would love to be your mother. <laughs> your mothers were very blessed, very very Aww. blessed. And, well, uh, thank you. You know, one of the ahead. things, um, Kate, uh, on that, I've, I've had a couple of people say that to me over the years, but I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you talking about this, you know, live on the air, I think is really, mm-hmm. really helpful because there's a lot of people mm-hmm. like you where family has, has, has not been as supportive as the person with dementia would like. And and there's um, so your story is going to help others. It's also going to maybe have some people who are listening go, gosh, I never thought of how they viewed all this. Maybe I should yeah. have a conversation mm-hmm. with them. You know, maybe we need to talk about because a lot of times this stuff isn't talked about. Mm. You know, it's just done. Well, people just do, do, but they're really yeah. in the beginning about it. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, after diagnosis, you know, I, I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't know um, how they would react to it. But knowing my children, only a mother knows. Uh, <laughs> I thought that, well, you know, mm, they're going to think that, well, it's wrong. It's, a, it's not, you know, I can understand the denial. But as this progression, I don't understand. And, and I know... Um, ma- many friends who goes through this, it's like, hey, when uh, you need a babysitter, suddenly you trust me, but then when I want to see the kids, you can't leave them with me for an hour or so. But I do, mm-hmm. I do, I'm grateful that my son does leave um, his son here. And so that's almost uh, like the only grandchild I see the most and it is a pity because we're missing out moments that we cannot take back that this little other little grandchildren will never know me and um, I wouldn't know them while I'm still lucid while I'm still able um, what a waste of uh, precious time that you cannot Mm -hmm. get back yeah that's very and the doctors do know this (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah well I do want to echo what, what Lori said like it, it's it's unfair it's, and it's unfortunate that the people you most want to hear this might not but I, I'm personally so incredibly grateful that you are reaching out and having these conversations and talking to us and letting other people listen and I think you will affect people that you, of course, aren't in your immediate family or your immediate sphere, which, again, unfortunate and unfair. But I think it's gorgeous that you call in and that you share your story and your perspective. It will reach somebody else's heart and somebody else's ears and shift something for them. I just know it will. Yeah, I, think I believe that, that you called in. Yeah, I, I really believe that, too, and that's why I encourage people to call in and share their stories or, you know, speak up. Um, there's a lot more people here that are connected with you and 
can help bring about change, you know, as as we talk. Um, one thing I want to to get to um, with you, Brianne, is, you know, you, your mom just recently passed away. So this journey is really fresh with you, and yet it's over. Um, for others who, you know, maybe in the beginning or even in the middle of their journey or, or near the end, what what do you want them to know? What what have you learned that might assist them in the different stages? Mm. I want people to know that I, I honestly believe like built into the human condition is a capacity to figure things out, um, to to be with things as they are and adjust as necessary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think the the biggest problems I always had every step of the way until somewhere near the end was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how I'm going to do this or that, or what if this happens or what if that happens? And, um, and every step of the way, like, I mean, I I say I I moved through the whole experience awkwardly with grace (laughs) because it wasn't, I, I don't even know what perfection, like moving through this, experience perfectly would look like but um you know you're going to have challenges and they will hurt and it will be tough and you will move through it that's you know that's just how we operate we're really good at meeting the moment we're not so good at um being in our heads (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but, you know, I found like when my mom became incontinent and I had to be the one that bathed her and, and changed her, um, that was very awkward. And then I figured it out. And then she forgot how to eat and I had to feed her. And that was weird and awkward. And I figured it out. And, you know, my father had a whole lot of pain around this and I didn't know how to be with him. And I figured it out. And her death came and I didn't know how I was going to move on. And I figured it, well, I'm figuring that one out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so it's like that, it's, if I could give anybody anything, it was hopefully to put a, a trust in in yourself and in the journey, um, no matter what stage, no matter how weird or wonky or hard it's feeling, you will get through. You you will. Awkwardly mm-hmm. with grace. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you mentioned that term, I love that, awkward with grace, and you had mentioned the word, Perfection. I don't know what that would look like. And, and for me, I I have kicked perfection kind of out of my vocabulary. I don't strive for right. it. I don't want it because um, I really think it's about making progress, not about being perfect. Because perfect is mm-hmm. subject to everybody. You know, everybody has an angle of what's perfect. And so you're never going to meet that standard of, of perfection. Exactly. Anyway you know, when you're worried about what everyone else is thinking. So it was just really about progress. And and um, I think the other thing I would add in there is forgiveness, not just for mm-hmm. others, but for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know about, you know, the rest of the world, but I know I have a really big inner critic that loves to scream at me and sure. tell me what a creep I am. Right. And that I can right. do better. And what was I thinking? Yep. And and I sit down and then I'll just cry and think, oh my gosh, I'm a rotten person. Why did I do that? Instead of going, I will always have another moment to do better. I will always yeah. have another moment to do better. And taking it in and really um, appreciating that I learned something along the way. How, how to do yeah. something better. 
and try to twist it to a positive and not to be Pollyanna because, um, you know, you're going to slip up. You're going you're gonna to be exhausted. You're not going to have enough time. You're going to snap. You're going to do all the things that you don't want to do. It's just, it's part of life. Um, yeah. But I found the sooner I could release myself out of the cage and time out for being a bad person, <laughs> it gave me more yeah. time to, to do better you know, uh, more time to practice at being better. And, um, you know, with everything, uh, I think in life, practice helps, you know, and to always look at how to improve, even when you think you got it down pat, you know, the recipe can always be improved. Um, And we might see it, it might be someone else that picks up on it. Um, And, and know that we are connected, I think, at a a deeper level than we could ever imagine. And as the disease progresses, um, that's when I, that's when I found that out. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but I was shocked at the fewer skills my mom had, the deeper our connections became. And, Mm -hmm. and that I didn't really lose anything. I, I, I lost the normality of what we perceived to be normal but her and mm-hmm. I came to a whole new normal for yes. us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that new normal can be gorgeous. And, you know, I, I was just thinking that the forgiveness thing um, and the inner critic. And I, mm-hmm. I do remember having this moment when I kind of realized the, that the cards we were dealt were crap cards. Like, mm-hmm. like if you're given this in your life, you're, you're, you're getting, you got dealt a shitty hand. <laughs> like you just mm-hmm. did. And that, is not on you. It's not on me. It wasn't on us. It wasn't. So when I kind of really realized like, oh, we were kind of given an impossible situation. Like we were given an incredibly difficult situation and it's nobody's fault except for life itself. Um, once I really saw that of like, oh, I've been handed something that's really kind of impossible to deal with. And so I can't actually get it wrong. <laughs> like mm-hmm. not in the ultimate sense, you know, that relieved a whole lot for me. It's like, oh, I'm going to do the best I can moment by moment, but nobody on the face of the planet, including myself, can ex- to be able to, to, like, to do better than I'm doing because this is just, it's too much at, at, all at one take, you know? So you mm-hmm. do, yeah, you do find, if you can find your own way to keep your heart at least a little bit open and, you know, with yourself as just as much as your loved one and your other family members and all the stuff that gets pulled into this. Yeah, you do see things. You do learn. Like I, you know, learning how to change my mom after she had messed herself, you know, I, it was so, like, it would take forever and it would be so weird and messy and gross. And then, you know, I, would, I was doing it quote unquote wrong. <laughs> But every time I'm like, oh, I noticed, okay, if I, if I say it, these things, that tends to calm her down. Or, or if, we, you know, if we go into this room, it's easier. Or like, but I had to learn. You, can't, you have to learn that. You can't know that ahead of time. That comes with the process. And when you kind of see that, you just are able to kind of lean into the experience a little bit more and go, okay, well, this is weird or this is hard or this is difficult. Maybe I'm going to learn something here. <laughs> so maybe yeah, the next time I- won't be. Yeah, I think that that's really true. And I think it goes for, um, like Kate's side too, you know, it's not just for the care partner, but for the person with dementia, in terms of those cards that are dealt, how are you, how are you going to play the game? You know, yeah. are you, are you going to play the game the way it's always been played? 
or are you going to find new ways to win? And so, like with Kate, she has surrounded herself with um, incredible people um, who have been diagnosed, who are advocates. She's an advocate herself for the disease, and um, and I and I think Kate, you know, you, you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know for me, you know, I I became this advocate. I met people I never would have met. I made connections that are so deep and so. Um, powerful and so um, uplifting to my soul that I never would have, I, I never ever would have made them without my mom being sick. And, you know, Kate is an administrator of some groups and, you know, she's part of our dementia chats and um, her voice has helped so many people. But I think sometimes we don't sit back and go, gosh, what's, what's filling me? What makes me feel good? Sometimes we focus on you know, what's not working and what needs to be fixed. And and sometimes I think the fixing comes in and realizing that you can't control other people. And the only thing that you can control is yourself. And so by expanding your soul and your energy and your thoughts and your connections is really a way to heal, not just um, us as individuals of what we've lost and filling that void, but it also helps heal and energize others. And I think, Kate, you've done a beautiful job at doing that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Laurie, mm. you're one of those people uh, that has <laughs> helped me so much and uh, has become a friend. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, do not, I do not focus on, like, my progression or my illness or, you know, how long I'm going to live. But I do, um, I do think... Um, um, more of when when my children will turn around and accept me for who I am. I, I do mm-hmm. think of that. And sometimes I, I feel like that is more of what is causing a lot of pain more than the disease itself. Um, yep. And when I hear about being gracious that is so beautiful, so unconditional. And uh, um, my one of my children studying a book on grace. And uh, I asked her what she was reading. She said about grace. And then uh, I said, oh, okay. I didn't think about it. And then when Brienne, is that your name? Uh, yeah. Brought up, yeah, brought up this uh, topic. I just suddenly thought, well, Grace is unconditional, and uh, I would do anything for any of them unconditionally, but um, I can't find one of them who wants to be my medical power of attorney, and uh, that's that's pretty um, tough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but the grace and the unconditional love, you both were the... um, well, I'm Chinese. I've, I've, I've <laughs> not only am I um, forgetting words, I can't remember the word, but um, we talk about perfection. You're the closest mm. to perfection I know of daughters who take care of their of their um, mother, mother of their parents. Oh, thank and you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm I'm learning here. Um, Thank you, so Kate, so much. In my mind, all day long, 
thinking about um, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, unconditional love goes both ways, too. And sometimes it's really hard to kind of forgive and accept people who are making choices that don't align with what you want. I mean, I know right. for me, it was my bro- my brothers, you know, didn't step up to the plate the way I thought they should. And I was mm. angry. I, mean, I was pissed a lot yeah. of times. <laughs> it was down, I, you know, I was mad and and it was like, and I'm going to fix them, you know, damn it. No matter what happens, I'm going to get them on the same page. They're missing out. How can they not see and feel what they're missing out? And they really yes. just never did. And I finally came to to the place where I had to let that go because it was distracting me living my life fully and spending more time with mom and you know, for you with the kids, it might be distracting for you living your life fully and, and filling it up. And, you know, we all, we all, I think, sign up to, to learn lessons. And some of us learn them and some of us don't, <laughs> you know, when we come here. And, yeah. and really, it really accepting that, you know, this is their choice. It doesn't mean that I have to love them less. I might love them differently right. in, in some ways. Um, than if they were around and if they did get it. But, um, you know, I, I still I still love them, and I have to honor their choices. But they're going to have to honor mine, too. You know, and, and sometimes for some of those people in our lives, I mean, you know, I've had to, like, cut people loose where it's like I, I can't have contact anymore because it's too painful, and we're not getting anywhere. It's cruel. And, it, mm-hmm. it, it can be cruel um, in in the sense like, okay, um, I'm going to invite you to my party, mom, but if you talk about your illness, then I'm not. And uh, that really hurts the core, you know, mm-hmm. it hurts to the core. But um, I I have, it's painful to see kids playing uh, where I'm moving to, their kids. I moved there for that reason too, like in case the kids would, come visit me, you know, and there's nothing, um, then they can play with the other children. And mm-hmm. uh, and they're looking forward to come and see me because um, um, I'm, I'm a fun grandma. <laughs> but then you can just do so much, don't you know? <laughs> you can just do so much to entertain, and I do not want them to watch Netflix at my place. I want to just love them and, you know, enjoy them. And so now my focus isn't so much on my children and what they do. And uh, it's bittersweet to see um, other people's children playing, thinking of my, I wish my grandkids are here. Um, but uh, there is um, this, this hope. There is hope. But I don't know when and in what stage they would yep. come around. But yep. there's hope. There's of hope. Yeah, well, I would and say I have, you, it's it's obvious to me that you, you have so much love within you, and so long as is you you're not too focused on where that love gets focused, that's the thing that's going to carry you through. Like you, you have so much love inside of you, and it's like just if I could, I I, I try not to offer advice, but like get in touch with that love. And if it's sparked by somebody else's children, you're still feeling love. If it's 
sparked by our story, you're still feeling love. Like the, that love is, it, if it's truly unconditional, it doesn't matter who's telling the story or where it's getting directed. And exactly. that's a saving grace. And, and I just yes. need to wrap yes. up the show here quick. Thank you both for being with us. You can contact oh, thank you. Uh, Brienne thank you. at her website. Everything is located on the radio page. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.